0: I was thinking about this from an illustration of this back in my college days when I was just starting to get to know the Lord, and there was this band that I really liked. You may or may not have heard of them. They're called Oasis. They wrote a song called Wonderwall. They were going to be bigger than the Beatles, okay? Like all these other bands are going to be bigger than the Beatles, but no one's ever going to be bigger than the Beatles, right? But anyway, I I thought they were going to be bigger than the Beatles, and so I started to buy all their stuff. I got the first single. I got the promotional singles even. I got the posters. I got it on vinyl. I got 12-inch vinyl seven inch finals, cds back then they had cassette singles you remember those well they had someone tried to call them cassingles, singles it never caught on and so i, I bought all the stuff i had my ticket stubs from the concerts i went to and then i bought this little bookshelf and i put it in the corner of my room in my college dorm and there i put up all my stuff with posters on the wall and i had my oasis shrine So people could come into my room and I could tell them about how amazing Oasis were and how they were going to be bigger than the Beatles. Well, Of course, it was just an idol in my life, right? And it was one that I was very happy to talk about. And over the years, since I lost that idol, I've picked up other idols. You know, I'll I'll pick up sports teams. So if you want to ask me about the Green Bay Packers, who won last night, I noticed the the altar guild changed the colors of the hangings this week, green and gold, for the Packers. Thank you, Tonya, or whoever it was. Well done, great win last night. I will gladly talk for hours about the Green Bay Packers and how I love them and how they're gonna win the Super Bowl this year and so on. But there's also other teams. I have my Liverpool soccer team as well, you know, and there are maybe movies I love and actors I love or there's authors that I love or maybe there's a way of life that I've entered. I'm going gluten-free and I must cheer about why this is the best thing since, well, not sliced bread because that would be bad, but why it's the best thing since whatever the last great thing was, right? All these things I'm willing to talk about, I can be consumed by, I can put them, I give them such a high priority in my life, and the end result is that God becomes number 2, 3, 10, 25 in my life. But I don't think I'm the only one who struggles with this, because Scripture tells me that none is righteous. This is John chapter 3. No one, no one understands. No one seeks for God. Paul writes these words. And I think it means that I'm not the only one who struggles with this. Just consider what you spend your money or your time on. Excuse me a second. What you spend your money or your time doing. Or maybe what you post on social media about all the time, whether it's your kids or sports or politics, whatever it might be. Or just what you spend your time thinking about all the time when you catch yourself daydreaming for a moment. These things reveal our fears. They reveal our idols and they show us our very hearts. John Calvin, the great reformer, once said this, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. The human heart is a perpetual idol factory. We are constantly taking good things like sports or whatever it might be, And we are turning them into ultimate things, the most important thing in our lives. It's what Tim Keller uses as a definition for sin, taking good things and turning them into ultimate things. So what are we to do? Well, we're continuing our sermon series titled The Call of God, seeing how we are called to God For the sake of others, to God for the sake of others. Last week we saw how we are called into relationship with Jesus. God loves us. In fact, yes, He even likes us and He wants us to be in relationship with Him, walking with us as a friend, our best friend, in fact, throughout our lives. Well, that relationship leads to our second call today. We are called into relationship with him, and we are called to follow Jesus. Above all else, we are to follow him. That is, in fact, the definition of a disciple. It's one who follows. In the case of Christians, one who follows Jesus. So let's turn to our scripture reading for today. If you've got your Bible, you can open up to John chapter 1. Um, Or if you've got um, an app on your phone you want to use, feel free. Or if you just want to use the screen, Dorian will have it up there for you. And we're continuing this series, looking at Jesus and what he calls us to do. And we come to three encounters in the Gospel of John, beginning verse 43. And the first one is an encounter between Jesus and Philip. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So the context of this story is that Jesus has just been baptized. We heard about that. He has been and the father has spoken over him. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. The spirit was there too. this great Trinitarian moment we talked about last week. And then Jesus, affirmed in his identity, goes out and he starts to collect disciples. He starts to get people to say to them, come, follow me. He's already said it to a couple of John's disciples who saw him and and John encouraged them, go follow him. And then he's gone to Andrew and to Peter and he said to them, come, follow me. And they've done that. And now within the same town, we see him come up to Philip and say, follow me. Now, Philip is from Bethsaida, like them where the Jordan flows into the northern part of the Lake of Galilee. And he's a less prominent disciple. We don't know a lot about Philip in the way that we know a lot about Simon Peter. But what we do know from the interactions we see with him in the New Testament is that he's probably a little bit less assertive. And so Jesus, in his grace, goes to him and he says to him, follow me. That is God's provenient grace at work. It's what we call provenient grace. It's the fact that God is always reaching out to us he comes to us first and foremost, it's not us coming to him. It's that he's already at work in our lives, coming to us. That's his grace at work, his prevenient grace. And he says to him, follow me. Now it sounds so simple, doesn't it? You know, follow me. You think, okay, we'll just go follow him. But that means giving up his life, doesn't it? giving up his life, what he has been doing to choose to follow Jesus each day, to listen to him, to learn from him, to obey him, and to die to his self. That's what Jesus is calling him to do. And that's what Jesus says of anyone who would follow him. You must come to me, learn, listen, obey me, as John speaks about later on in his gospel, and to die to self, to take up your cross and to follow me daily. But you know, Philip responds by doing it. He just does it, doesn't he? We don't know the whole story, but it seems like he's there. He's right there. Because in Jesus, he has found everything he has been searching for. And so he's willing to do these things. And how do we know that he's really got it? Well, it comes because of our next encounter, second encounter in our story. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Follow me leads to come see and see. Follow me leads to come and see. Archbishop William Temple once wrote this, as soon as he becomes a disciple, Philip also becomes a missionary. That is the only true discipleship when we choose to follow jesus we are immediately led out into the mission field that's what jesus calls us to do sharing the gospel is a characteristic of a follower of jesus you cannot say i'm a follower of jesus but i don't tell people about him just can't be done it's just impossible. It's a, I it's a, a, I don't know, it's like a, what do you call that? An oxymoron, perhaps, right? It's not something that you can do. Sharing the gospel is a characteristic of a follower of Jesus. How? Well, it can be through speaking words, telling people who Jesus is and what he's done. It can be through your actions. You might love someone. You might take someone a meal. You might forgive someone. You might overlook an offense, or you might deal with that offense. That's even more radical, right? You might actually deal with the conflict in your life. It's something that we can do on a daily basis with words, with actions, and by example. Now, note also that Philip's faith is not based on pure emotion or experience. It's important to catch that. Do you see what he says Nathaniel? He doesn't say, hey, I've met this great guy called Jesus, and he really impressed me. That's not what he says. What does he say? He says this. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I'm sure Jesus had impressed him. Trust me, I'm sure that had happened. But what does he do? He takes what he's seen, he goes to scripture and he says, look, he's living out. What we have seen is going to be prophesied of the one who will come, the Messiah. In those 39 books that we have, the Old Testament, they they wouldn't have called that that. There was the law and the prophets, the Torah and so on. And we've seen that he matches up. Everything matches up with what was said about the Messiah. And so it's true. You can trust me on this. Well, Nathaniel's not so sure, is he? He says, well, what possibly good could come out of Nazareth? In one of the live groups I was in this week, one guy said, is that like saying what can, good can come out of Myrtle Beach? And I said, I saying, that's really offensive to people from Myrtle Beach. So I said, no, no, no. It's what good can come out of Panopolis, right? Or something like that. Yeah. Which then went and offended Andrew Dennis, of course. I said, oh. But it's, Think of a small town. Nazareth was a small town. It's not to say it was a bad place. It's just that it was small. Plus, they also knew that the Messiah was going to come out of where? Anyone know? Where was he going to come from? If Not Pinopolis. No, that could lead to heresy. Where was he going to come from? It was prophesied. He would be born in Bethlehem. So they're confused. They're thinking, why is he coming from Nazareth? It's not Bethlehem. Of course, we know that he went to Bethlehem for the census. He had to do that. But his family was from Nazareth. And that's where they went back to after they had escaped you know, to Egypt and come back to Israel. They went to Nazareth. So he is Jesus of Nazareth. This small, meaningless town just in the middle of nowhere with 2,000 people in it. I think, well, how is that possible? Well, he's skeptical. And he also doesn't know Jesus yet, does he? It seems pretty clear. Perhaps Philip knew him already, but he doesn't know Jesus. So he needs to be convinced. And so we come to our third encounter. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you nathaniel answered him rabbi you are the son of god you are the king of israel jesus answered him because i said to you i saw you under the fig tree do you believe you will see greater things than these jesus knew nathaniel before nathaniel knew jesus i shouldn't shock us because of what we talked about last week right god knows us even before we come to him it's that prevenient grace And what does he know about him? He knows everything. But what does he say? He says, he talks about this being a man with no guile. He's a man with no guile. And what does that mean? Well, it means what you see is what you get. Nathaniel is an easy read. We all know people like this. For me, it's my wife. She's an easy read. I know what she's thinking. There's no guessing games with her, right? If she's upset with me, I know it, okay? I just know it, all right? It's because she's an easy read. She's so honest and good and, and holy in that way, right? She can just be that person and not have to be fearful of what others might think of her in that moment. She's able to do that. And Nathaniel is the same way. He's a good and honest man. What you see is what you get with him. And Jesus is pleased in this. This is another great characteristic of a disciple. As disciples, we should be what you see is what you get kind of people. That people aren't trying to guess with us, well, do they love me? Do they care about me? Are they being passive aggressive? Are they not being passive aggressive? What's going on there? We should be what you see is what you get kind of people. And it's a trait that I desire for myself so much in 2021 this is one of my goals is to be a what you see is what you get kind of person well this knowledge of him stuns him doesn't it and it stuns him to the point that he believes he realizes that god truly knows him he doesn't he's never met him but he knows him and so he says he's his teacher he is his messiah and even more than that he is god himself he says the son of god Well, Jesus is equally stunned by such faith. And in verse 51, he reveals in a cryptic way why he's come and where Nathaniel's heading with such faith. He probably caught it in the reading. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, for those of you who know your scripture, or maybe you're going through the Bible in a year, you've probably already reached this reading in Genesis. You'll understand that that is an allusion to a passage in Genesis 28. Jacob's Ladder, it's a famous story where God speaks to Jacob in a dream. Jacob's just lying down, he's sleeping. And God starts to speak to him and he sees this vision of heaven being opened and angels ascending and descending on earth. And God is saying to Jacob, you are going to be a blessing to the nations. You are going to be the way through which people will come to know me because of your relatives and their relatives and relatives and so on Till eventually, of course, Jesus will come. And that's why Jesus is pointing this passage. He's saying, I am the way that God was speaking about to Jacob. I'm the one who's opening up the heavens. That people can enter into heaven and know the Father. That they can be saved. And so, yes, Nathaniel will be saved because of his willingness to follow Jesus, but not just Nathaniel. How do we know that? Because Jesus says the word you here, you plural. It's that southern form of the word, right? We all say y'all. They see, he can say it. I cannot say it. Y'all, right? I still can't do it. It sounds terrible that's why i don't use it but he's using the plural form of the word you here so he's saying you everyone will be saved in this way that heaven will be opened to everyone who chooses to follow me three encounters and as we come to the end of those encounters i wonder who or what are you following Has something in your life become an idol, something that's become a distraction to you to the point where it's causing you to not follow Jesus anymore? He's second, third, tenth, ninety-ninth on your list right now. Maybe it's a political leader or an ideology you're following. Maybe it's a sports star or a sports team that you're consumed with. Maybe it's a self-help guru that you are just fixated on or a prosperity gospel preacher. uh, Maybe it's the financial markets or a particular college or a career or even another person's husband or wife. These things have become idols in your life to the point that they are causing you to fall away from Jesus or to choose just not to follow him. How do we know if it's become an idol, though, you might ask? Well, I think here's 10 ways. Just I'll go through quickly. Number one, it causes you to disobey God. That's the most obvious one, right? It causes you to disobey God. So that thing you're fixating on leads you to choose not to follow him. Secondly, it gives me greater joy than following Christ. Thirdly, it gives me the most excitement about the future. Fourthly, it's what I daydream about the most. Fifthly, it's what I enjoy talking about the most. That's the one I was sharing about earlier. Sixth, it's what I fear losing the most. Seven, it's what I most enjoy reading about. Eight, it's what I most love spending money on. Nine, it's what I look to for heart rejuvenation. Ten, It's what I most enjoy spending time on. And you know, I think in all those things, the way we truly discover it's an idol is because ultimately it never satisfies us. It leaves us wanting more. St. Augustine once said these famous words, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. You see, idols promise so much, and yet they fail to deliver. Dallas Willard, who's a great Christian writer, once said this of choosing not to follow Jesus. He said, non-discipleship costs abiding peace. That is a life penetrated throughout by love. Faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good. Hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. Power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. If you're experiencing those kind of feelings, like you're not experiencing the peace of God, it could be because you've made an idol of something else and you are putting it in place of him. And so what are we to do? Well, Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Are you following Jesus? If you're not, you are following something else. There's no way around that. You can't not follow something. But are you following Jesus? The good news of the gospel is that we can't do it, right? That's not the good news, but we can't do it. And the good news is that Jesus has grace to forgive us and to put us back on track with him. So the good news is that when we screw up, we can come back and we can say, God, forgive me. I lost my way. I made you number five on my list. I want you to be number one. And he says, yes, welcome back. Welcome back. In fact, he was already pursuing us, right? That's the reckless love that we just sang of. He was already pursuing us. That's his grace at work. That's the biblical story. I was reading... In my devotion the other day from Paul David Tripp, it's the story of the love of God invading the world in the person of his son of love to establish his kingdom of love by a radical sacrifice of love to forgive us in love and draw us into the family of love and to send us out as ambassadors of the very same love. Jesus says, follow me. And it leads to come and see. You see, disciples are ambassadors of that love. And disciples say, come and see. Come and see. Come and see what I've seen. His grace and his love cannot be contained within us. We have to share of what we have received because it is such good news. The freedom we've experienced from brokenness. The healing that we have received. The knowledge that we have that we will one day spend all of eternity with him. Are you revealing Jesus to others? When's the last time you invited someone to come and see who Jesus Christ is? Perhaps through sharing your testimony of how God has been at work in your life. Perhaps through an invitation to come to church or to join a life group, whatever it might be. Come and see. Perhaps through an example you give of them of what it means to truly forgive. And they see, they come and they see who Jesus is because they go, that guy follows Jesus and he or she is different and I want to be like that. You know, not everyone's going to listen. In fact, it's going to really upset some people if you ask them to come and see Jesus. But we can't worry about that. You see, we've done our part when we say come and see with gentleness and respect, as Peter talks about. The rest is up to them, and it's up to God. We've done our part, and we leave it in his hands. We simply are called to give the invitation. So I'll close by asking, are we a come and see kind of church? Is that who we are? If not, we need to ask if we're really following Jesus or just going through the motions of doing church. I want to end by doing something a little different, which is to give you a chance to respond. I'm going to ask um, these guys to get ready just to play a little background music, something worshipful to help us to enter in. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to encourage you to spend a few minutes in prayer. We're going to spend some time praying. And as we pray, I want you to ask the Lord to reveal to you Who are you being called to say, come and see to? Come and see. Come and experience what I've experienced in Jesus. Come and discover what I've discovered in the scriptures of who he is. Who are you being called to invite in to church, to life group, just to reach out to in love and share encouragement with? And as you do that, if the Lord brings someone to your mind right away, I'm going to give you permission to pull out your phone during the sermon, and to text that person we did it at the nine o'clock and the Lord put someone on my heart and I got my phone out and I texted them right away he might do that for you okay or he might encourage you to post on social media it could be a bible verse or a scripture or just something that you love about the Lord and you're grateful for right it might be that or he may just be saying when you get out of here today you have got to call that person you've got to go over to their house or you've got to take them a meal or you've got to do something else like that because he's telling us to come and see the question is are we listening to who he's telling us to come and see too so let's spend some time in prayer we've got a few minutes to do this as long as we need and uh, let's ask the lord to speak to us i'm going to pray to open us up as stand starts and and then i'm going to let the lord just do what the lord does jesus come we are your servants willing to listen to you we long to be a listening people a people like samuel who hear your voice and don't just hear it, we respond. So come Lord.